I'm David Matson, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Travis Tom, a good guy from high school, great to hang out and talk with, he's one of the guys. In high school, we're focused on what's right in front of us. But for Travis, he saw the opportunities beyond. He always had a plan, from his early years of truly hard work to today's work of a different type. His work ethic and start with yes attitude has no doubt played a part in building his success in life. Look at that, look at that, we're not, we're not. All right, man, how you doing, brother? Oh, you look good, Travis, you look good. Okay, don't worry. Don't forget the camera had ten pounds. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. It does. That, so yeah. same yeah. for me. Same for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Travis talks about his large family, and his ancestor who came to Hawaii from the Portuguese island of Madeira, and invented an item that came to be a cultural symbol of Hawaii. Now that's something interesting that I didn't know. I didn't realize you're Filipino. What's <laughs> what so Joby said? Hey, Joby. No. Hey, you're all kind, but you know the DNA in Hawaii. Hawaii, you get the you you bust out the DNA test. What was like? Oh, everything under the sun. But yeah, yeah, Filipino rap. Both sides. One, uh, your mom. Uh, just, uh, we, uh, we found out on my dad's side. Yeah, it's on my dad's side. Yeah. Oh, so like he didn't even really. Know. No, no, we didn't know. Yeah, yeah. We just, you know, Hawaiian Chinese, that's pretty close to Filipino right there. So, you know what I mean? There's, there's, you know, Japanese, Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We had everything going. And then um, coming to find out, we took the test. Oh, dad, Filipino. It's like, oh, right on. And it's the funny part is my dad looks Filipino. So, and everybody growing up, everybody would just come up to my dad and start speaking to him and, you know, Ilocano or whatever. And my dad would be like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, like, not at all going. <laughs> Very you might be surprised. I'm Portuguese. I don't know if you. you no, probably, no, yeah, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. That was another thing. I thought I took the I took the DNA test. I'm like, oh, I'm Portuguese. Wow, hey, interesting, dude. What did you think you were? Oh yeah. Oh, we're all Portuguese. Uh, yeah. How's this one? My great great grandfather. Invented the ukulele. He came from Madeira. Really? Yeah, Manuel Nunes. Wow. That's my great great grandfather. Yeah, the inventor of the ukulele. How's that? Like what What year was this? Like in the eighteen hundreds? Yeah, you know when when everybody came over. When everybody yeah. came over for work in the fields, my great great grandfather was on that boat. That is incredible, yeah. Nunes, huh? Nunes, and N U N E S, Manuel Nunes. Yeah, yeah. Madeira, that's the place. I've been to Madeira. It's beautiful. Really? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a small island, very volcanic, very similar to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you drive up Punchbowl and you see all the streets, Funchal, and you know, all the streets that are named after Portuguese name, that whole place, when you're driving up Punchbowl, that looks just like Madeira. Wow. <laughs> so it's no, it's no coincidence that the Portuguese went there to settle because mm -hmm. that looks so familiar to them. What did you uh, end up in Madeira for? I wanted to go back to the homeland, you know what I mean? So <laughs> to Portugal, then I call a little um, trip. To the, I think it's the world's shortest runway. So it's very scary to land in, in Madeira. Yeah. <laughs> Landing is one thing, but the plane has to go all the way to the end to take off. Very small runway. Yeah. Is that the one where the runway goes right up to the beach? or is that uh, No, not to the beach, but kind of went to the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either gonna take off or you're not. You know what I mean? When, yeah, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> the, the decision will be made you know, one way or another. <laughs> so growing up, was it just you and your brother? Well, I had my older brother and my little brother. Okay. So what was it like growing up with them? Yeah. So it was it was fun. You know, three boys. You know, I kind of felt bad for my mom, right? You know, it's just house full of boys. Growing up was a, a lot of work for us. So. Uh, we owned Agnes Portuguese Bake Shop in Kailua. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother, Agnes, and my grandfather, Tommy, they opened Agnes Portuguese Bake Shop. Yeah. And then my parents took it over from them. So from the time that we was really small, 
we owned a bakery and, you know, I think it was, I was five years old and my parents bought it. My older brother would have been seven, just working all the time. So we'd be at the bakery with my dad at three o'clock in the morning, working until school started. Then we'd go off to school, dusting all the flour and dough off our clothes, go school. And then after school, come back to the bakery, work again till we close the bakery. Then after we close the bakery, then we go deliver bread and stuff. You know, we had some restaurants like Kaimuki, Kaimuki Inn used to serve our dinner rolls and stuff like that. So we go drive around the island delivering stuff to stores and restaurants and then come home late at night, eat something, homework. And then the next morning we was at the bakery with my dad again at three o'clock in the morning. Was that seven days a week? Seven days a week, wow, seven days a week, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so growing up was, was, uh, for us, uh, for me, it was a lot of work. You know, people talk about like, Oh, growing up in Hawaii, you know, must've been fun going to the beach and stuff. It's like, for me, it wasn't that way. So I remember like being at the bakery working, my friends would come by on their bikes and be like, Oh, Travis, we're going to beach. You like go beach. And I'm like, Oh, no, can I go beach working? So it was tough working. And then I think our junior year of high school, my parents sold the bakery. It was much more fun to go into the bakery as a customer, <laughs> buy some malasadas and leave. You know what I mean? Like I never have to go in the back start making malasadas. It was like, whoo, wow. Hey, no need to go bakery at three o'clock in the morning anymore. <laughs> so that's crazy. I didn't realize you were doing all that kind of stuff yeah. way through then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about like family get togethers, family parties and stuff like that? What were they like? Yeah, Christmas was awesome because Christmas, the bakery is closed, right? So Christmas Day, bakery closed. It was awesome. You know, my parents would, um, you know, we'd wake up in the morning, had the Christmas tree, all the Christmas presents. And I always remember Christmas time being sunny. You know what I mean? Like, I know Christmas, especially given Kaneohe, rain all the time. But for some reason, like, Christmas Day was always sunny, you know? We could just hang out. And my dad would cook this huge feast. So in the morning, we'd have a full-on Portuguese breakfast. My dad would make all kinds of stuff. And then dinner time would be Hawaiian food. It was like just so much fun. Christmas day was like the best. My dad's side of the family is huge, huge family. My grandma was one of 18 kids. So oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get thousands of cousins. So for those parties, when my great grandma was alive, mm -hmm. the whole family would get together for my great grandma's birthday. Like they, they would rent out one entire park, bruh. my sand island, you know, sand island park. That's what I'm they doing. out the pavilion and the whole park would be my family. So everybody at the park that day was related to me. And it was crazy, man. And we'd see all my cousins and just thousands of people. And um, so my dad's side of the family was huge. So all the get-togethers on my dad's side of the family, just massive amounts of people. Sand Island, Aloha Stadium. <laughs> yeah, Aloha Stadium. Could've, we could have filled up a good side of a chunk of Aloha Stadium. Travis shares one of the first things he remembers about Kamehameha. He shares stories of unforgettable people and a pivotal experience that helped shape his sense of belonging. What year did you enter Kamehameha? Freshman year, yeah. Like, what's your first memory of, you know, being a student at Kamehameha? Oh, so just looking at me, you know that food is my favorite topic. So, you know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> so Akahi Dining Hall was new that year, you remember? I mean, you know, I'm coming from public school, private school. I don't know. But you hear about, oh, the lunch at Kamehameha, the lunch, the lunch, right? And I got there and I got to Akahi Dining Hall and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is a you know, you get the buffet, then you get the salad bar, then inside hamburgers, french fries, pizza, then, oh, my favorite was the chocolate milk station, right? You know what I mean? There's a chocolate milk. It's your chocolate milk, yeah. Yeah. And I remember just going home the first day of school and telling my parents that, it was everything they've heard about and more at a lunch at Kamehameha. And that was like my favorite thing. That to me was like, oh, wow. <laughs> How do you think that the classmates will remember you from high school? <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Maybe my sense of humor. I was always trying to be funny and joke around and talk to people and stuff. And I, I just loved it so much being at school. I just wanted to like meet as many people as possible and just make everybody laugh and you know, have a good time and stuff. So maybe, maybe that way, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. You, you're always super fun to be around. You know, <laughs> funny things would always come out of your mouth. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it would encourage like, you know, funny banter back and forth. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. If you have, you know, any teacher be the teacher of one of your nieces or nephews, who would you choose for them and why? 
Uh, definitely pick Senor Shui, Ron Shui, uh, Spanish teacher. He made such a fun learning environment in there that we wanted to learn Spanish. We wanted to speak Spanish. And Spanish ended up becoming like my favorite subject in school. I ended up getting a minor degree in Spanish in college. And I remember he came in the first day of class and he said, as Hawaiians, you have an advantage over everybody else trying to learn Spanish because the vowels and the alphabet are all pronounced the same way as in Hawaiian. And right there, he just kind of like set the stage for us. Like, hey, you guys could do this. He started the Spanish club. You know, um, Joby was president of the Spanish club. She started forgiving me for that, but we all nominated her to be president. <laughs> <laughs> he, he brought in like people to play Spanish music for us or Mexican music, Mexican folk songs for us. And he just made it fun. What's something that you held on to from high school? All my yearbooks. I love to look at those. I took a lot of pictures in high school. So when you move, you unpack your stuff. And I, I came across pictures from high school and stuff. And the last day of junior year, I brought my camera to school and I just started snapping pictures, you know? Yeah. And then of course, senior year, I was on the yearbook staff. So I was all snapping pictures, but those kind of things just bring back some memories. Just, it's hard to believe it was like more than 30 years ago. Right. You know, and it's just it's a lot of fun to take a look at. Was there ever an important lesson learned or, or life changing experience that really turned things for you? Yeah, for me, um, that would have to be, um, going to New Zealand as an exchange student. So I went our sophomore year to St. Stephen's School for Boys right outside of Auckland, New Zealand, a Maori boys school. Mm -hmm. And that changed my whole life. One day on the loudspeaker in class, they announced we're starting an exchange student program to St. Stephen's School in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Beginning of 10th grade year, I ran down to Mr. Kramer's office and I said, I want that application. And they didn't even have the application yet. They're like, what? What? We just announced it this morning. I said, when's the application ready? I want that application. How did you broach the idea of being an exchange student to New Zealand? Yeah, my dad still tells a story. Like, I just kind of came home like a matter of fact. And I went to my parents that night at dinner. I said, mom, dad, uh, commitment has an exchange program to New Zealand. And I applied for it and I want to go. And my dad said, it was kind of like, I was just like informing them. You know what, I mean? <laughs> like, what, New Zealand, what, where, what's going on? What's happening? <laughs> I, I'm wondering, so what was it more that you wanted to go to New Zealand? You were thinking a year without having to go to the bakery. No, no, I was used part, bro. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I was kind of like, oh, I don't have to go to the bakery. Right on, bro. You know, but yeah, it was like that. But I was like, I'm going to New Zealand. And oh man, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. And, uh. I'm glad I did. I mean, like I said, it changed my life. And I have lifelong friends, lifelong family to thank for my time there. New Zealand is like a second home to me. Joby and I had the fortune to go there a couple of Christmases ago and visit my host family and all my schoolmates and everything. But when I went to New Zealand, I was accepted. I was like Maori. Like they, they, they accepted me as one of theirs. How, how did it have that effect on you? So um, for the first time, I felt accepted somewhere. You know, growing up as a light-skinned brother on the east side of Oahu was tough. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um, growing up, I got called haole a lot, which, you know, was offensive to me because I'm Hawaiian, right? And that people didn't accept me as Hawaiian. And, you know, my brother, you've met my brother. My brother's darker skinned than me, so, and we don't look like each other. So people would be like, oh, who's the haole? And he goes, that's my brother. You better, you know, watch it. You know what I mean? So... But that was the tough part for me. And still, you know, when we go home and Joby and I are together, I get some brothers giving me looks, you know, like, hey, you know. <laughs> and, and so for me, that was the first time I felt like I belonged, right? Mm -hmm. And I just made a very strong connection to that culture. And that was the reason for the exchange was all the similarities in the Maori culture and the Hawaiian culture. And it just gave me such a strong connection, not only to the Maori people, but to my own Hawaiian heritage, right? That was the thing that, that kind of changed me and got me going and said, hey, I belong, right? I belong here. I'm, I'm Hawaiian, I'm Polynesian, and nobody can take that away from me, right? And I just had that strong sense of identity. That, that's an awesome experience. If you could have lunch with somebody from high school that you didn't know too well, um, who would you choose to have lunch with? You know, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, my, my goal like in high school was to try to meet as many people as high school as I possibly could, right? Yeah. I was just so thrilled to be there. I just wanted to make, make friends with as many people, talk to as many people as I could. Freshman year, you know, we'd all hang out at McDonald's Land and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got to know Chrissy Noka. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And we just joke around. We'd all have fun. It was me, Reed, Takano, Chrissy Noka, a bunch of guys, Shane Radford, all those guys, just hanging on McDonald land. And Chris was so funny. And Chris wasn't trying to be funny. That's the beautiful thing about Chris Inoka, right? Brother wasn't even trying to be funny, but he was hilarious. And we'd all joke around and talk and everything. And then um, uh, sophomore year, but I never had to have, got to have lunch with him, right? Never had, we just had free period towards the end of the day. As the years progressed, you know, for whatever reasons, going through high school and, you know, you don't have classes, you don't have the same free period, you don't have lunch. I never got to know Chris better, you know? And it was always kind of like, hey, what's up, Chris? Hey, what's up, Travis? You know? And I would see Chris and we, you know, we never really had lunch or never really hung out again. But that freshman year was so much fun just hanging out with him. But yeah. and I was like, oh man. And I always wanted to wish I, I had the chance to get to know Chris better because I just knew him freshman year. So as I thought about that, I was like. Yeah. Chris was a good guy. We played football together yeah. and, you know, we'd you know, talk story. You know, he's, he's not the one trying to be funny no, no. <laughs> he, he didn't have to right he just had to be himself and ah, yeah but one day one day i'll have lunch with that brother again there yeah. you go there you go yep graduating from high school he had a plan for where he'd go on to next from the rotc program in college he entered the military and with challenging times he describes how he found comfort in songs from kamehameha what were some of the misconceptions that you had about what life was going to be like after graduation? You know, at Kamehameha, everything is so awesome, right? Everything's there. You got all the resources at your disposal. And so you think like life is going to be easy or easier than it is after high school, right? And you leave the hill and, you know, I remember showing up at Arizona State. I was one of 55,000 students on this massive campus and I was like, Oh, what's going on, right? And so, and as life goes on, you just kind of realize how fortunate we were to be at Kamehameha, to have all of that. How did you feel about leaving Hawaii for, you know, for college? I, I knew that I wanted to go to college on the mainland. And my parents were really big on talking about college to us at an early age and all that. And I was like, I'm going somewhere on the mainland, I'm going to college. Mm-hmm. And so for me, though, it was fun. I just, it's just something I've always wanted to do. It helped me a lot, right? As a person, right? Not only are you far away from home, but you're going to school, you experience all these new things and stuff. So so for me, that was, a, I guess, an easy choice. Uh, but then once you get there, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of miss home, you know, a little bit. Mm. <laughs> but, but no, it was good. And it was just kind of like starting all over again, right? Just like, here I am on this huge college campus in the middle of the desert and... What were some of the good things about, you know, moving away and uh, being in college there? And I think growing up and experiencing things that I wouldn't have been able to experience at home, just because kind of what I was talking about earlier, being away from your family, right? Just being away from your family, being away from your friends, being away from your comfort zone kind of forces you to experience new things and meet new people. I joined the soccer team at ASU, right? I joined a fraternity. I was in the Army ROTC program, you know, I was in student government. So it's all these things that you push yourself to do because you're not in the comfort of, oh, I have all my friends and family around me. I got to go make new friends. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kept myself busy. I was there for school first, right? So I I made sure I had fun, but I made sure that I I took care of business and I, I, you know, got good grades and I finished all my schoolwork and stuff like that because I was like, hey, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. I got to do it right. Nice. I'm impressed. I I never realized you had such a good head on your shoulders. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) But but I'm genuinely impressed, Chad. That's awesome. the boys but apparently not you're better than us <laughs> no, no, not even not even no seriously it sounds like you had a really really good head on your shoulders even from early on i mean that's everything that that i that i'd say you know what if, if my kid did that he'd be okay because those are good instincts so wait so you were in the military i was when i was in college yeah yeah and in the army i graduated from airborne school so i jumped out of airplanes cool 
Yeah. So you got your rip cord, so your static line hooks onto the airplane, and then you shuffle to the door, hand your static line to the jump master, exit the door, and then you free fall for a bit, and then pop, the static line, you know, pops your chute for you, or you hope it pops your chute for you. I've never, thank God, I've never had to pull my back up, but uh, that's like this, this fun feeling, like uh, it's, a, it's a big relief. So you get out the door, you jump out the door, and it's like, chaos and then all of a sudden you hear pop and you look up and, you, and they call it check canopy look up check canopy and you look up and you go oh and, and you look up and you have to make sure that there's no holes in your canopy if there's holes in the canopy what do you do you, you cut it and you deploy the reserve you are screwed yeah so if you have holes in your canopy you are definitely screwed that's when you start figuring out how to deploy your your backup your reserve shoot pretty quickly but not going to never have holes in the canopy or anything like that but but that's the, the feeling of jumping out of the airplane and that pop and hearing the pop and then looking up and knowing your canopy is okay. That's, like, it, it's, it's funny that, that they say, okay, as you're falling to the earth, check to make sure that your canopy is okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Check to make sure your canopy is okay because you don't want to fall down faster than you're supposed to be falling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, if your canopy is okay, then great. If yeah. your is not okay, you guys ready? <laughs> yeah. Not okay. You have another canopy strapped to your stomach area that you need to get out quickly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when you just cut the cord, like cut all the cables or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. it is a release. You, you can release the other chute. Yeah. Um, you know, because the other chute's going to come up this way and you got to turn your face so it doesn't rip your face off. So, you know, you practice stuff, right? While deploying your emergency chute, Make sure to look over here because the force that's coming up you know, can rip your face off. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna look this way. Right? You appreciate having a face. Yeah, yeah you want to look to the right so that your canopy doesn't come up that way. It's like, oh, thank you. Oh man, that's awesome though. And then you graduated. You've still got a face, so I call that yeah. success. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Success. Was able to jump without having to deploy the the reserve chute. Terry, when I was in airborne school, we had one more jump. Stay, and you got to get your fifth jump in to graduate. Otherwise, you, you roll over to the next week. So we we had our last jump, and um, the winds that day were insane. So we're in this huge C one forty one, which is a huge airplane. They don't they don't have them anymore. But we kept on circling, and we kept on circling. We're just getting tossed around. I mean, the worst turbulence you can imagine. And we're getting tossed around the sky like, like it's just, you know, like we're a little toy. And you can't jump in those conditions. So when they get you ready to jump, you get up and you got to hook up your static line. And then you got to keep your arm, you got to keep your arm like this in a perfect, perfect angle. So they got us and they stand up and they hook up. And once, you, once you're hooked up, they don't want you to sit back down because then you got to do the whole thing again. But people are, are starting to, you know, get sick on the plane and, you know, it's kind of a chain reaction, right? And like, Travis, just hold it together, man. You got one more jump. You got to get out of the airplane. You got one more jump. And um, I started singing. Um, do you remember uh, from Founders Day? Oh, yeah. I started singing for all the saints over yeah. and over my head. Because I think I wanted to pray, too, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, we, were, we, were, we, were around, we were going around in circles so many times. I, I kind of got through that song a couple times. Then I started singing, There you go. That's the one. And then, then I started singing um, uh, the one from Founders Day, Aloha Pawahi. And by this time, I must have been really singing loud because the guy in front of me goes, hey, dude, shut up. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, I was going for it. But at that time, I remembered, like, I could see Dr. Chun, like, on the sidelines at our, at our soccer games, cheering us on. Right? I could see him at our football games, like, come on, guys, you know, cheering us on. And I was like, I'm getting out of this airplane today, right? I'm getting out of this airplane. I'm going to graduate today. And it was that moment where I just could see Dr. Chun. I thought about our school. I thought about Princess Pauly. And I said, I'm getting out of this airplane. I'm graduating from airborne school today. I don't care what happens. By this time, you know, half the plane got sick. <laughs> it sounds like, get out of this airplane. Uh, the jump master finally had the green light. And he's like, go. And I was like, oh, we got to go before they, before they turn the green light off. And I remember getting out of that airplane that day. And, you know, you can imagine if the big big aircraft was getting tossed around what it did to us once our parachutes opened and stuff but we were just you know we had we had to 
steer ourselves back to the landing zone. And I was like, I could do this, man. I'm doing this today. I'm getting out of this airplane and I'm going to finish my jump and I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get on out of here. Oh man. Right on. Thanks. That was a good one. Travis's work requires a jack of all trades, a MacGyver type personality with skills, and he's really good at it. But in case he gets tired of the whole startup thing, he's got a backup career in mind. And best of all, he's already got his membership card. Travis, this limerick's for you. Trav once wore powder blue suit, accented with that cologne brute. He worked it on action to the kid's satisfaction. I bet Joby thought he looked real cute. So what do you do for a living? So I improve processes, I enable people's success, and I just help get things done or I do it myself and basically make sure that my company that I work for is running smoothly. You sound like an invaluable component or a cog in the wheel of, of the workings of it. It's funny you did that because um, I had a boss once who said, this is the, the wheel, this is the spoke. And he goes, you're the, you're the cog in the middle. You're the one keeping everything going. And he goes, or you have to make sure everybody's running around you. If you're not working well, then everything's not working well. And he, he drew out the cog everything. So it's funny that you, see, you brought up that example. I run operations. I'm a vice president of operations for a software company. And so in a startup company, you have to wear many hats. So throughout my career in Silicon Valley, I've learned how to wear many hats. And I learned how to help get things done. So I end up being like responsible for like three or four different lines of business in the company, you know, with a team of one, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Every day is a new challenge and uh, it's a high pace, high speed kind of environment and it's Silicon Valley. So, you know, it's uh, highly competitive and you're always racing against time, right? Because it's only a matter of time before somebody comes up with a, with a competing product to yours, or it's only a matter of time before you run out of funding and have to go get more funding or stuff like that. So it's always like this race and every day is like a race. <laughs> I help companies put structure in place and processes yeah. and train people, support the sales reps, put all the systems in place and all the processes in place so that a startup company that's doing everything on spreadsheets or whatever can actually start doing business like a mature company. And so that way, as the company grows, you have the processes and the systems in place so that the company can grow properly and, and act more like a, a mature company. What's the, um, I guess, the end game or the goal for a startup? It depends on the company. You know, some companies, they start themselves so that they can be sold. Some companies start themselves so they can go public. In the case of our company, um, it was started so that we could build a, a very large, successful company. And there's ups and downs that go with building a company. There's good times, bad times. You never know what you're going to expect one day to the next. So we'll see how it goes. You know, there's hundreds and thousands of companies out there trying to do the same thing in different spaces, but it's fun. You know, so this business that you're starting up, yeah, you're calling it a startup. When does it like no longer be a startup like semantically because because i'm thinking you know from my experience you got an embryo you got yeah. a you got a baby there's there's clear stages there and yeah. so you know big companies i get they probably started as startups but yeah, exactly. you don't call them a startup anymore so what's the transition from a startup to a, a full-grown you know company that, and that's funny because that's like the joke like in, in silicon valley Oh, this company is like a 10 year old startup. You know, this company is like a 15 year old startup. Right. And at some point you go like, okay, we got to stop acting like a startup and we got to start acting like a real, a big company, you know? So it's, it's unclear when, when, when companies transition out of startup mode to non-startup mode, you know, I worked for a company that we went public and after we went public, we were still acting like a startup. And I was like, I remember asking my boss, why are we starting like a startup? But like, we're a public traded company. And he's like, I know, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, so, so you, you make startups legit. And then I try. <laughs> I love the challenge of my job. Some people go to work every day and they know what they're going to do every day. Mm -hmm. I go to work every day and I, I have no idea what's coming, right? In my mind, I have things that I want to accomplish. <laughs> and in the first five minutes, that's all gone. That's all just blown. But to me, it's the challenge, right? The fact that a kid from Kaneohe, Oahu, can come in here 
make a difference in a company. I'm in a small company and every day I'm sitting in those meetings and I'm making things happen. That's what I love about my job. That's awesome. If you could have another job in the world, what would it be? I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild. So I'm a union actor. I have my SAG card and I've done acting off and on ever since I got out of college. If I could do one other job, the job that I'm not doing now, it'd be a full-time actor. Were you in anything that uh, I might've seen? Yeah, I don't know if you saw the movie Zodiac is about the Zodiac killer. So there's one scene where I'm in there, play a lawyer. And I was in a scene with like Mark Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal. And then there's like me and this other guy in the background talking. It was classic because that scene was supposed to be like 1970 something. The whole movie's in chronological order. And so <laughs> I get cast in that. And they call me and they, and they say, can you grow your hair out? And I said, yeah. And they said, okay, just grow your hair out as long as you can. And they said, we need you to grow sideburns. And I'm like, dude, I can't grow facial hair. But I didn't tell him that, right? I said, sure, sure, I'll grow sideburns. Yeah, 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 got it. <laughs> and I get there on the set and my hair is like long or, you know, whatever. And they're like, like the hair, they're like, you didn't quite nail the sideburns on. I'm like, oh, really? Sideburns. And so they put me in a makeup chair and they put sideburns on me. And I remember this girl was next to me and she was in the other makeup chair. And she looked at me and she goes, those are the best sideburns I've ever seen. And I had these sideburns on me and my hair. And then they take me back to wardrobe and I put on this, powder blue polyester suit of course the seven. Blue. oh my god and of course it was like uh, like maybe two sizes too small too and they're like don't worry people wore them tight in the, in the 70s i'm like i'm pretty sure not this tight you know what i mean and so and i come out and that same girl was in the seat next to me and, and she goes she goes now nah, that is a cool suit and i was like yeah baby i mean and they gave me a little leather briefcase because i was a lawyer right uh, and so that was fun so we went home for christmas uh Joby's niece and nephew came up to me and said, Uncle Trap, we saw you on TV, was on cable, we was watching Zodiac, and Grandma told us Uncle Travis is going to be in the next scene. And we're like, no, Uncle Travis is not going to be in the next scene. And then there he was, he was on the scene. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, right on. It was was so cool to see my niece and nephew tell me that, you know, and be like, I saw Uncle Trav, I saw Uncle Trav, we saw you, you know. I was also in the pilot of Parenthood. I used to have this old 1983 Cadillac. I was driving that car in Pursuit of Happiness. Will Smith, uh, Chinatown, yeah, San Francisco. I was there on set and I was like a stockbroker or whatever because it was a period piece, right? It was the 1980s. And they said, oh, anybody got any cars from the 80s? And I said, oh, I have a 1983 Cadillac Fleetwood. And the guy's like, you have to bring that tomorrow. The next day I showed up on the old blue Cadillac. And the guy goes, okay, come here. And he goes, we're going to use your car in this next scene with Will Smith. And I said, oh, awesome. So I drive my car over there and I'm sitting in my car waiting, you know. And then all of a sudden this like stunt man opens my door and I said, whoa. And he goes, what are you doing in there? I said, this is my car. And he goes, get out. I'm your, I'm your stunt driver. And I said, and I, I don't know what made me do this, man. I just said, no. <laughs> no. And I said, nobody drives my car except for me. And then all of a sudden, it's like the director's coming, the stunt captain's coming, everybody's coming down. And I look at like five people standing outside my car going, what are you doing? And I said, this is my Cadillac. If you want my Cadillac in this movie, I'm driving it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, great. Now I'm going to get kicked off the set and my car too, right? Good good job, Trav. I'm thinking to myself, good job, Trav. Right on, bro. <laughs> you lose then, your card. You know. yeah, yeah, everything, like everything's going on. You know, and I'm sitting there going, why did I say that? And then the director looks in and he goes, do not run over Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, deal. And he goes, one mess up and you're out of here. And I said, you got it. You got it. So they had the whole block shut down. And it was drive up California, straight up the hill, and then reverse your car back down. Go back to one. Do it again. 30-second scene in the movie. But we shot it all day, over and over and over again. And you know, a 1983 Cadillac Fleetwood, not known for its handling. You know what I mean? Especially <laughs> in reverse, down one hill in San Francisco. I'm yeah. reversing, I'm like, ah, I'm trying to keep this bugger straight. <laughs> and then finally, Will Smith comes out, and the guy goes, goes blowing, Will, Will, and Will looks at him, and he goes, see the guy driving the Cadillac? And I waved at him, and he goes, that's your cue. When he starts going, you start running. And so as the scene was, I drive, and then Will waits for me, and then he runs behind my car. But that's the kind of fun stuff that, that I've always done, like, part-time, and I earn my card. 
I renew it every year. And that's one thing kind of like, okay, when I'm done with the Silicon Valley thing, I want to do acting full time. Yeah, that's awesome. I always wanted to do stand-up comedy. So for three years, I was performing in nightclubs all over the Bay Area, like five, six, six nights a week. I was just doing stand-up. You know, you'd be at one like hole in the wall, working out your material, getting your five to seven minutes of stage time. And then Robin Williams would walk in, walk in and he'd work out some material. And I was always at the wrong club on the wrong night. Then the next day you catch up with somebody like, oh, how was that club? And like, dude, Robin Williams showed up. I'm like, no, you know, I missed it. <laughs> so you get like working comedians who, who come in and work out with you and stuff like that. I mean, I just had fun doing it. The thing with comedy, you, you, you try to be on stage as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so you just bounce around to all these bars and clubs and everything, just trying to get stage time. And when you first start out, they give you like three minutes, you know, and you better, you better kill it in that three minutes. And then they know you a little bit more, they give you five minutes and then they give you seven. You're always trying to prove yourself to everybody, right? Of course. And so that was the challenge. Oh man, some nights you'd be killing it. It's the same set. You got the same five minute set. And one night you're killing it. People are falling off their chairs. People are clapping, hooting, hollering. The next night, different club, same exact jokes, same exact, and it's like crickets, you know? So, it's like a humbling experience, right? It's a really humbling experience. And you're like, wow. In stand-up, you're really talking about yourself the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. All the jokes are about you. And so- It's uh, easy, probably easier to deliver that way because it's genuine and authentic. Exactly. Right? So I had a lot of jokes about, about being Hawaiian, right? About how nobody knew I was Hawaiian and all this kind of stuff and people didn't know I was Hawaiian. And so I went through this set and I was up in like Vacaville or something. I was like, I drove like a long time for this set. And I was going and I was just killing it. It was all about me being Hawaiian and people not knowing I'm Hawaiian and all this kind of stuff. It was one of those nights where you just like feel like a million bucks because everybody was laughing. Everybody's in your set. Mm-hmm. And I get off the set and these people ran up to me and they're like, you're Hawaiian. We're Hawaiian. We're from And they're giving me hugs and everything. And it was so cool. You know, it's like, and they were so excited that there was a, a Hawaiian comedian up there and that, you know, it's all about Hawaiian and they were laughing. They're like, oh my God, that happens to us too, you know? <laughs> and so, and they're like, oh my God, we want to see you again. You know, that was a lot of fun. Are there any jokes that you can remember that you'd be willing to Ooh. share from your sets? No, no, bro. That was a long, long time ago. We got to keep it family friendly. On oh, I see, Sunday. I see. <laughs> How does a vice president of operations relax and unwind? Does a vice president of operations ever have the time to relax and unwind? Let's hear Travis tell it. So what's your like health routine? Any, anything that you do, <laughs> try and stay healthy at, at our age? Um, so mostly walking, right? So I got a bad back and I got a bad ankle. So I kind of do like the kind of crazy kind of sports like I used to. So it's me. It's just more about walking, walking and stretching, like yoga, that kind of stuff. That not only help stay in shape, but also clear the mind a little bit, you know, de-stress, that kind of stuff. I really need to do it every day, but I don't. <laughs> I try to get like you know, three, three times a week, at least, you know, even if it's just around the block or something during the middle of the day, sometimes it's just like, oh, I just need to go around the block. I just need to walk a little bit. So get some movement, get the air flowing a little bit, hopefully some sun, you know, what other kind of things do you do to relax and unwind? And, and I like to listen to jazz. It's so funny. Like growing up as kids, my dad was also listening to jazz, right? And my brother and I would make fun of his music. Like, oh, it's, it's jazz. What's he listening to jazz for? You know, people are getting into jazz again. It's all the jazz from the '60s and the '50s. And it's funny. I went into a record store with my friend, and I said, "Hey, man, I, I want to buy some some jazz CDs, right?" And he goes, "Okay, we got to go for the standards, right?" And so we went and we saw some Coltrane, some Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, and we got all these things. And I walked up to the register and I just started laughing. And my friend said, what's so funny? I said, dude, these are all the albums my dad had as a kid. And my brother and I used to make fun of all these albums, right? And I said, here I am buying them. I said, I'm like an adult now. And he just started laughing. And I went back to my hotel room and I put them on and I was just listening. And so for me, for jazz, it just mellows me out. I remember I called my dad and I told him I was into jazz. My dad got so excited. And now my dad has sent me like his record collection. I got all the old vinyl, right? I got Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I got them all. And my dad and I just talk about jazz. And so for me to unwind, I'll put a jazz record on and I'll just 
Pika Press. What's your philosophy that you live by? I think for me, it's just not being afraid to try new things. I moved to San Francisco and I wanted to start acting. So I started taking acting classes. I always wanted to do stand-up comedy. So I started doing stand-up comedy. I wanted to write music. So I started taking voice lessons and I started writing music. So for me, it was always like, I want to do something, just go do it. Going back to our time at Kamehameha, we had everything at our disposal. Yeah. When I came back from New Zealand, I said, I'm going to make the most out of being at Kamehameha and I'm going to make the most out of being on this earth. And I'm just going to try do stuff. You're only going to go around this world once, right? So you might as well just try to do as much as possible. I, I agree entirely. I love that. Why not? What are you looking forward to in the next 10 or 20 years? I'm actually looking forward to retiring at some point. <laughs> I told you before, I've been working since I was five years old, right? Working at the bakery and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of look at the next 10 to 20 years. I'm like, oh man, I got to figure out how to retire. Yeah. My in-laws are coming in a class of 69 and they're retired. And they always talk about all the fun trips they take with their classmates or all the fun things they do with their classmates. And I'm like, oh, we got to get to that point, you know, retire and just kind of Joby and I can spend more time together. We can spend more time with our families and our friends and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to that. We will. Yeah. Can you name the most meaningful thing that you've done in your life? For Travis, it was easy. What's the most meaningful thing that you've ever done in your life? Um, I would have to say it was getting together with Joby and marrying Joby. For me, that was like a huge turning point in my life where I allowed myself to be with somebody who made me happy, right? And so, and being okay with being happy and being okay with being somebody with somebody who, who made me happy. Joby and I knew each other from high school. We always laugh like, oh, okay, we weren't, you know, it wasn't the right timing, right? And so for me, it was like the right timing and, and the ability to be with somebody like her where, you know, I have such a great connection with and being with her makes me happy and I'm gonna do that. So you guys knew each other. I'm trying to, to decide how, how deep to delve into this. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask Joby any questions when I was talking to her. So I'm wondering, should I? You know what? We'll just, we'll just talk a little bit and then we'll, we'll get Joby okay. to wrap things up. So when in high school did you guys first meet? I had come back from New Zealand. First class, first day, first period, junior year, chemistry. And there was Joby. <laughs> <laughs> and we just hit it off and we just became friends. And what I liked about her was I could joke around her and she would joke back. And I was like, oh, right on. Hey, she gets a sense of humor too. We're in Spanish club together and all that stuff. I was in the back of the row. Joby was in the front of the row. So every day I would look over like that to see if Joby was there. You know, <laughs> I'd say, oh, Joker, what kind of funny thing am I going to say to Joby today? You know, <laughs> oh, that's sweet. So, you know, I got to see her in class and I got to see her in Spanish club. And that was pretty much it, I think. And had a good conversation. I would I would think of something funny to say to her, and you know later on she would tell me she goes I see you coming. I'm doing it. Oh, what's he gonna tell me now? You know, <laughs> <laughs> joke around with her, and she joke around back. And like, oh, it's funny. You know, we all say something to each other in Spanish or whatever. You know, and uh, she would she would tell me that I was Mr. Shuey's favorite stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, caliente. <laughs> 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 one of the few spanish words that i'm familiar that's with right, that's right. <laughs> that was it then we uh left high school i didn't see her again until 20 years later at the reunion so can you call joby and, and we can yeah. uh, finish up with the with the yeah, yeah. Um, when was the first time you remember meeting travis what was your first impression <laughs> of him i thought he was a tall fair guy like skin-wise, he was a kind, kia kia kind, you know, much like yourself, David. Show him, babe. show him, show him. Babe. Right there, strong, Portuguese. Show him, yeah. is strong. Yeah. Um, and so, so junior, junior year, for sure. Okay. Okay. It has to either be IAC chemistry or or Espanol. Boom. Club or wow. whatever. Club. How's that? Club. Yeah. Um, but then he was relentless. He was a full jokester and handsome kid, you know, another handsome um, classmate, because all of our classmates is so ooey, you know, that's what I recall. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you guys, throw out some adjectives for each other, how you remembered each other from high school. 
well, it's like hot, a good one is, or like, like handsome. I mean, like that kind oh, okay. of, oh, but yeah, see, it's 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 you said that earlier, 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 you that earlier, you 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 so I, I I stayed in my lane though, you know. So, but I from know. afar, but I knew he was really good with people. Yeah, I guess he was yeah. just a funny cat. Like you know, he he revolved in the world of sarcasm, which I appreciated because Strange. I you know. Weird. <laughs> I, would, I would use the word endearing. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Dave. Endearing sounds so much better. Yeah. <laughs> he had that kind of like you know like that kind of jab. It was a friendly banter and it was a lot of good fun. The next day I'm like, oh gosh, what is he going to tell me today? And sure enough, he had some sort of antics to go through with me. I'm like, he was popular. He was like, you know, one of those kids and totally opposite. I'm, totally a, opposite I'm a shy him. person. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. I will come out of my shell one day, but you know, till then. Please. <laughs> totally opposite of what you are. Come on now. No. Smart, but go-getter kind of guy. Like, okay, let's get things done. Yeah, that's just kind of who he was. All, all positive things. But real koloedo. Kolohe oya. What is happening here, So David? rascal he was. You know, just, oh. Kolohe loa oya. I agree. Kolohe oya. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it takes one. Hi. That's what I'm trying to say here. All right, your turn, Travis. I thought Joby was fun. I was always mm. fun when I saw Joby because I could joke around and she would joke around with me back. I could kind of just be myself uh, around her. And I thought she was smart. You know, I'd be sitting in the back of IAC chemistry during the exams and I'd be like, <laughs> going through the exam. And I look up, it's like, she's Paul. You know, she's she's got her pen on her thing. And I was like, so I thought she was fun. I thought she was smart. I just, <laughs> she was friendly, friendly as well. You know, and I just, I just had a lot of fun around her. But I remember specifically when, when we're at home, I'm like, oh my gosh, mom. I said, I know my friend Travis is going to give me a hard time tomorrow because I'm not in school today. Travis, do you remember this? Oh, absolutely. Can you deliver the punchline? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So remember I told you I would look to the front of the road, see if Joby was sitting there, right? Yes. And so I looked up and every day I would look and Joby's sitting there and I go, okay, cool. I said something to Joby today. And then one day I looked and she wasn't there. And I was like, oh, Joby is not here today in school. And then later on, we had a Spanish club function. Didn't see her there either. I'm like, oh, okay. So the next day she comes back to school and I see her coming. We're walking outside of Midkiff. I'm walking towards Midkiff. She walking from Midkiff. And I said, oh. Okay, here comes Joby. And I saw her and she's looking at me and I said, oh, hey, you decided to come to school today. <laughs> Dave, I, 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 bus laugh. I, I totally went, I just went bus laugh. I'm like, this freaking guy. I'm like, I, and I knew it. I knew he was going to give me heat about it. I knew it and I already predicted it. I, Soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh no, here it comes. And sure enough, he's famous to deliver, you know, like just a boom. I'm like, oh my God. But I couldn't help but just bust laughing. I actually, I, I remember what I had on um, that day um, at school and stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is going to give me so much heat about it. And he did. He did. I'm like, can you guys share the story of how you reconnected? Um, when I saw him on Facebook, I think he commented on something and then I must have commented and I must have sent him like a, hey, you know, like a hello, how are you, da da da. And everyone at that time was like, are you going to reunion? Are you coming? I know I had asked him if he was planning on going. And then that's when I, I saw him. I saw him there and it was so good. I hadn't seen him 20 years that two decades have gone by but you see each other and it's like boom it's instant it's it's laughing it's yeah. you know big joy to see each other big hugs and you know big aloha and it was just yeah and then it was just like high school you know and and it was so good it was so nice to see him and you know of course everybody was just so much aloha and at what point did 
you realize that, hey, this could be something more than just a friendship. Gosh, after that, David, we just kind of in touch after a reunion and then... It just kind of evolved, I guess, after staying in touch. And, and that's what it just kind of um, happened. But kind of funny how things work out, you know, after all that time. One thing, boom, boom, boom. And then, ta-da! <laughs> Hello, Joby Tom. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> When did you guys get married again? We got married in 2011. 1-1-1-1, January 1st, 2011. So we've been married for 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. In what ways are your lives better with each other? Yeah, I think for us, it's that connection that we know the same people. We're from the same class. So when I talk about Oh, that one time at the dance at Keiku and they played this song. She knows what I'm talking about. There's even more of a connection that we're part of the class of 89. And that really means something to us. Hawaii connection is just easy. It's a nice feeling, you know, and it doesn't hurt you when the attraction is strong as well. So that's nice, you know, that's a... In the comedy world, we call that a callback. So nice callback, Dave. That we had a couple a callback. callbacks. Earlier joke. I like it. I like it. You got what it takes to be a stand-up com- comedian there. <laughs> well, I think that is a compliment from a very fine stand-up comedian himself. <laughs> I probably don't approach a lot of things the way he looks at things um, with his little, you know, his inspector Clouseau kind of a approach you know yeah. it's a good so, balance good balance it is a good balance it is balanced yeah the two of us. At, at times i'm do to do i'm doing you know i'm i'm like you know doing my own little joby world thing and he's like he's like he's like come on back over here come on back over here so yeah with that it's a good yin and yang yin and yang like yeah. with each other very well mm-hmm. tom mm-hmm. and tong yin and yang oh, yeah, somebody asked you so so you went from Tong to Tom, one Chinese to name to another Chinese name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be right. That'd be right. You guys are so much fun. I, I wish I could just hang out with the both of you even longer. Oh, yeah. Hey, come out to the Bay Area, bro. We'll have fun. We'll hang out. Oh, I would love to. Hey, it's nonstop fun at the Tom house, bro. You know what I mean? Thank you, brother. Love you. Love you, bro. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guests, Travis and Joby Tom, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Wendy Brown, and Kaylee Aquaro. And a special thank you to Drez, Dwayne Andres for the music, and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to follow us and subscribe to get the latest updates and news on upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.